You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, hey, good morning, New Life. How are you guys doing? Good. You ready to rock? Good. Well, hey, welcome. Uh, if you don't know me, if you haven't seen me before, my name's David. I'm with the Zero Collective, which is it's a group of churches. Um, and so we kind of share some different things, different resources. But one of the things I get to do is come down and give Brad a break every couple months. So that's why I'm here. Can't wait to jump in. Uh, opening statement for you today would go something like this. I have a very different appreciation for my parents now that I am one. Anybody else in the room? Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Once you have your own little mini-me, you start to get it, right? I remember my parents, when I was younger, they used to say to me, you know, I'm praying that someday God would give you a child just like you. And in my ignorance, I said, you know what? Me too, you know, because I would get him and I would understand him and I would, and I got one and I understand the prayer now. I totally, I totally understand the prayer in a totally different way. I uh, wanted to show you a picture of my family. For those of you that know me and don't, this is an updated one. So this is obviously myself. Shannon is my wife. Judah is our three-year-old. And then Jordan is our two-month-old. We just brought him home. He was born right before Christmas. So he is a tank. Uh, he wears nine-month clothes right now and just continues to grow. We like those 90-some percentiles on those growth charts. So that's, he is my boy, which I'm all about. So anyway, that's my family. We're working on some stuff with Judah, though. So Judah, uh, before Jordan, was an only child, but he wasn't just an only child. He was an only grandchild times two. So he was the only grandchild on either side of our families. There's nobody even close. So he is the center of everybody's universe, right? And those of you that are like, man, he, his world is gonna blow up, it did. It blew up, he has been demoted, he is no longer the center of his mom's universe. I'm like, welcome to the club, buddy. Me neither, okay? You ruined it for me, now he's ruined it for both of us, here we go. So anyway, he's getting it a little bit differently. He doesn't have to, he's learned how to share, right? Like you guys remember that, learning, okay, how to share with toys, and he hasn't had to do that. He still doesn't have to do that with Jordan, but we practice on other people's kids. So working on sharing, watching it. We brought our small group over a couple weeks ago, and I watched Judah just chase one of these other little girls like, that's my toy. Bring that back. It's like, this is so good for you, my son. So we're working on that. We're working on potty training right now, right? Some behavioral modification. Um, he actually, as soon as we brought Jordan home, he like got it. It clicked. Like, I understand. I'm supposed to pee in the potty. So that's, that's a win for us. Right now, the difference, though, is we're trying to do it not off the wall. We're just trying to go straight <laughs> into where it needs to go. So that's some behavioral modification that we're working on there. Um, here's another one. Staying in bed. I'm not lying to you. I wrote on this one, just shoot me. I am so sick of this part of parenting. Is there anybody else? Does it get better as they get older, or you just don't care? So you just don't care. All right. So the faster I can get to not caring, the better off I will be. I am so sick of fighting. Shannon said last night I was at church getting ready, and Shannon said, yep, he was out of bed five times tonight. I'm like, yep, shoot me. Still works. Okay, I can keep that in there. So, and then the last one here, we're, we're working on with Judah how to treat a baby. Because he's three, and he, he doesn't know, right? Some of you are like, I see where this is going. He, he has like a baby doll, and we got that to like kind of 
practice. You know, that's what Shannon told me. She's a nurse. She said, he needs something to practice. So now that we have the real thing, um, we didn't think through it all the way because he was screaming. Jordan was screaming. This was like two weeks ago, screaming his head off. Shannon runs in. She's like, what happened? What happened? Is, is Jordan okay? And Judah's standing right next to him. Of course he is, right? And he's standing like this. And he goes, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, as a parent, you're like, how do I get this information out of you without breaking the law? What did you do? I'm really sorry, mama. <laughs> what did you do? He's screaming. But, and he goes, I bit his finger. And he said, what in the world is going through your brain that says you could do that? And, and here's what we figured out. I asked him, I sat down, I said, Judah, daddy's gonna talk about you at church on Sunday. And so I need to understand this whole story of what happened. And he goes, okay, I bit his nail. I said, why did you bite his nail? And he goes, well, he scratched me. I said, oh, so Judah is a nail biter, right? So he doesn't have nails. Um, but Jordan accidentally scratched him. So Judah, at the goodness of his heart, says, I'll fix it for you. And he grabs his hand and starts trying to gnaw his nail off his brother. So I'm like, what is going through your mind? So anyway, whatever. He has great intentions, right? We could say, that's, that's like an amen thing. Three-year-olds have great intentions, right? But their behaviors could use some modification. Is that fair to say? Is that fair to say for the rest of us? Is it fair to say that our intentions are usually good, but our behavior could use some work? I mean, that's why, if you go to Planet Fitness right now, that's why you will see people working out in Planet Fitness right now. They're trying to change a behavior that's going on in their life, right? They're trying to get healthy. They're trying to be active. They're trying to change a behavior to improve some sort of quality of life. That's why Meyer has a healthy food section, which I don't know where it is, but people shop there and they look for healthy food to try and change that part of their life. There's other things that are built on it. Go to work. Have you ever heard of like a performance improvement plan? Right? That's about like, okay, your intentions are good, but your behavior actually needs some work. So we're going to work on that behavior modification. Um, what about the judicial system? That's called jail or rehab or prison, uh, probation, you name it. We're working on, it's, it's not your intentions that need work, it's your behavior that needs some work. Here's my question for you today. You ever feel like that at church? You ever feel like God just wants you to change your behavior? I looked this up, I'll share this, I was gonna share it later today, but I think it fits now. 68% uh, of people that attend religious services in the United States say they do so to be a better person. That's seven out of 10 people that walk through these doors uh, have some sort of desire to be better, right? To, to do gooder, right? To, to, to change something in my life because I need something that's better than what I'm currently experiencing, or I think I can do more or be more or be better. I need to start some right things or good morals or whatever. I need to stop some bad things that are falling apart. So I, I don't know what reason brought you into church today or last year or three years ago or whenever. I, I don't know what brought you in today, but do you ever feel this desire or do you ever feel maybe even the pressure from God to change your behavior. They're like, I, I have to change it to earn something or to get something or to, to get reception with God. Like once I clean up this area of my life, once I stop doing this or once I start doing this, then God will actually listen to me. Then God will care about me. Then God might even answer my prayers. Do you ever feel that pressure in church? Most of my life, uh, my dad's a pastor. So most of my life, I grew up in church, and I always felt like my behavior was the number one issue that God wanted to deal with in me. 
I always thought it was my behavior. I had a behavior problem. I was the kid that got in trouble, right? I was the kid that, you know, my mom said, I hope you get one just like you. She didn't say that to my other siblings. She said that one to me. And I get it. I, I was the one. I had that reputation. I earned that reputation. But I also thought that reputation carried into my relationship with God. And so as I got older, you start trying to compensate for that. Okay, maybe I need to learn more. Maybe I need to add my knowledge. Maybe I need to behave better in different things. Maybe I need to clean up different areas of my life so that when I show up to church or when I show up in my relationship with God, when I actually get down and pray, when I actually do that, then I have something that I can work with. Anybody else relate to that? This was, this was like the premise of how I related to God most of my life. So the Apostle Paul actually heard that there was a church. This was back in 63 AD. There was a church in Colossae, which is in the Middle East. There was a church that was struggling with the exact same thing. In fact, they had something called like the Colossian heresy, which was basically this church, this early church, young believers just started out on their relationship with Jesus and trying to understand what that means. What they would do is they would actually cherry pick different pieces in different parts of different religions and they would try to combine it into one and say, this is what salvation looks like. So I, I gotta combine knowledge over here and I gotta combine some sort of like mysticism from this religion over here and I gotta add the legalistic Judaism over here and then I gotta add you know, whatever scripture over here. And, I, and what they would do is they would add all of these things together. One of the primary ones was Gnosticism. So Gnosticism, if you look it up, it's very like self-focused, self-motivated. It's all up to me. Pull up your bootstraps and make it happen. Uh, it's about knowledge and learning, and, and it's like your truth, your world, your way. So these people are coming in kind of like the American mentality, wouldn't you say? Kind of, here's the group of people that they're all coming together, and they're saying, we like this, and we like that, and we like this, and we like that, and we're going to put it together, and this is what it means to have a relationship with God. This is what it means to be saved. And Paul said, no. He said, you're wrong. And I'll tell you, here's what he said, right? Colossians 1, verse 9, starts off like this. I'll read it for you. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. So Paul heard something as he's in prison, because that's where he's writing this letter. Paul heard something about this church, and he said, from the day I heard about you, I have been praying for you, which tells me I think something's not right. I think something is not right. He says, from the day I heard about you, I have been praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge, and all the Gnostics are like, yes, we love knowledge. He's saying, with the knowledge of his will. Not the knowledge of your will, not what you want to study, not what you want to learn. What, I, what we're praying for you is that your knowledge would increase of God's will for your life. That's what we're praying for. Ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So the Holy Spirit that they have, what we're praying for for you is that you would gain something that only the Holy Spirit can provide. Not something you can gain, not something you can do, not something you can fix. We're praying that God would intervene and give you something you can't get. That's different. And all of the Gnostics would have went, huh, that's very different. So let's keep going. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Flip that around here. Think about what he's saying. So you can have endurance, so that what you are doing right now, the, the truth that you are embarking on learning will actually carry you through completion. 
Because if it's you and if it's your smattering of stuff and you pull this over here and that over here and we like this and this is up to me, your endurance is nothing. How many of us have tried to do something for like a long period of time, something drastic, something big, and we tried to do it all by ourselves and it petered out or it died or we lost motivation or we lost focus or something happened and we got sidetracked. I mean, I get sidetracked all the time. It said big goals and audacious things. This is what I want to do. This is what I want my life to look like. This is what I want my marriage to look like. This is what I want my body to look like. I set all these lofty goals, and then for some reason, something happens, and I'm off. That is the endurance that Paul is talking about, so that you may actually endure, that you may actually go to completion, that, you may, that God's will for your life, that you would bear good fruit, that you, would have, that you would see change happen around you. My desire for you is that God would work in you so powerfully and that it would never stop because it's not about you. It's not about what you do, what you contribute, what you add. It's about what he brings and what he adds. Let's finish it up here. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So Paul is praying for them for a number of different things, but he's, he's getting them off of the page of, I just have to do and be and learn and know and accomplish, and moving them over to a different page that says, you're one that receives, you're one that follows, you're one that endures, you're one that, that is shaped through God's Holy Spirit and the power that only he can bring. Those are two totally different approaches drastically different approaches. What they came in thinking is, okay, Jesus plus good behavior plus willpower plus knowledge plus all these other things, then I achieve salvation. And Paul's saying, no. No, here's what he says. Let's keep reading. He says, uh, Colossians 1, verse 13, for he has rescued, say it with me, us. For he has rescued us. If God is a rescuer, and us is the word he's talking about, then that implies we needed rescuing. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a rescue. It would have been met. He meets us. He rescued us. He rescued from what, you might say? From what? From the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. There's two different pages. There's two different kingdoms. He said, you gotta get off this kingdom which is all about you, your will, your power, your way. You need to come over to this side and it's all about God and his power and his way. And if you wanna see changes that actually blow your mind, it's on this side. But it's not because of something you do. It's not because of how hard you try or how long you work or how much effort you put in. It's all about him. It's two totally different schools of thought. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God has rescued us. You can't rescue yourself. I mean, if you actually think about like the definition of like a rescue, it's saving or helping someone that can't do it on their own. Otherwise, it's not called a rescue. A rescue is I'm trapped and I can't get out. A rescue is I'm lost and I can't find my way. A rescue is I am helpless and totally at the mercy of the goodness of someone else. That is a rescue. So Paul chooses these words and he, say, he, he says, for he has rescued us. Not just talking about him, not just talking about the church he was talking to, but talking about our church today. For he has rescued us. 
What do you believe makes you right with God? Like if you're being honest, right? Maybe you're in the 68% that say, okay, I, I come to church and I'm looking for something to change this part of my life, this part of me, my behavior. What, what is it that you think would change your relationship with God? So let me, I'll give you some examples if that's confusing. Um, maybe your marriage is struggling. And you say, okay, as soon as I can fix my marriage, as soon as I can clean that up, as soon as I can do the right things and kind of smooth the waters, then, then I'm good. Then I can actually come and, and, and God will accept me or speak to me or lead me somewhere. Maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe you have a secret sin that you just can't stop. And you're done telling people about it. And it's killing you on the inside, but you, you're not willing to ask for help. But it's eating away inside, 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 inside. And the, the dreaded fear is that someone will find out. Maybe, maybe it's this, you're harsh or you're really judgmental. That like as you walk into different environments or places or workplaces, whatever, different relationships, like you, you're more of like the opposite side of the magnet that pushes people away rather than brings them in. Maybe you're just like, if I could just round out some of these rough edges that, that could change it, then maybe God could do something in me or in my life. Here's a couple other ones. Maybe, maybe you're anxious or depressed. You're just crippled by fear. You can't move or you just, you've lost the will to live or survive. That you're just kind of like floating. Just kind of meandering through life. Like, is there anything better than this? Maybe that's what you came in with today and you're like, man, if I could only fix that or change that or get over that, then I could actually gain something from God. Or maybe it's just this. Maybe you're just selfish. Maybe you're just too focused on you and your own life and your dreams and your aspirations and you go, I need to do something that's more for other people. So I'm coming to try and learn how to do that or provide to find a way for me to do that. I don't know what, what it is for you. I don't know what you bring in. I don't know what you carry. I don't know what you hold on to, but God does. What is it that you feel like you need to fix to be right with him? What is, what is your one thing? Here's what Paul is trying to say. I'll summarize it this way, and I'll put it on the screen. The cross is a rescue operation, not a behavioral modification program. If you come to church and you feel like, okay, God created church to change my behavior, you're wrong. Just like Paul said to that church. That's, that's not God's heart. That's not his intent. But why Jesus actually went to the cross, why he hung on the cross, was a rescue operation to save you, in fact, from a behavioral modification program. Because maybe God knows this about all of us, that we all have this desperate desire to change something deep down inside of us, to change our lives, to change our behavior, to change what is wrong or off or broken in us. Maybe we have all, maybe God knows that we all have this desire to do it and to change it, and he knows that we are helpless to do so. He knows that we can't. So he allowed his son to go to the cross to take up that shame, that guilt, that pain, that brokenness. He allowed his son to actually rescue us from our helpless place of trying to fix it on our own. He rescued us not, not for a behavioral modification program, from one. Amen. What a gift from our heavenly father who loves us, just like we sang about over and over and over God does not have a three-step plan for you. He doesn't have some magical prayer that you pray that all of a sudden he'll listen. He doesn't have this goal in mind of like, okay, once you get here, then you'll be good. And then once you'll be here, then you're better. He doesn't, he doesn't have that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't think like that. 
Here's his invitation. I'm willing to be your rescuer if you will allow me. That's God's invitation to you. I'm willing to be your rescuer if you will allow me. I was talking to, this, to a guy this last weekend. Um, he says he's a Roman Catholic. He was working on my van. Uh, says he's a Roman Catholic. I don't know why those two are related, but uh, he was working on my van, and we were talking about faith and religion, and, and he was like, well, I don't really believe in the Bible. I believe in God. God and I are good, but I don't, I don't really believe in the Bible. I don't think you need the Bible. You know how it was created, right? And he starts telling me this theory of, you know, there's like 13 different religions, and they all got combined into one, and this is, I don't want anything to do with it, and they're all just trying to control me and my behavior. And I said, Actually, it's, it's not scripture. So what, what scripture is, is actually the narrative of God. And the, the whole pinnacle, the whole point actually looks at the person of Jesus. And, and, and it describes a world that is broken and desperate and helpless and in need of a rescue. And God provides the rescuer. And he does so in a way that there's proof after proof after proof, prophecy after prophecy, work after work. I mean, everything points to Jesus. So that when he actually showed up and he actually came, it should remove all doubt. Like, of course, this is him. It's been all about him. It's been him since the beginning. Cover to cover, it is all about the person of Jesus as our rescuer. There is no other way. It's just, it's him. So here, here's what's wild. When you are at your worst, when you are at your worst, Christ died for you. He loved you. He was so moved when he saw you. So I'm going to put these on the screen. When you are in the middle of numbing it, whatever that looks like for you, when you're in the middle of avoiding it, ignoring it, blaming it, eating it, smoking it, clicking it, swiping it, denying it, watching it, drinking it, when you are in the middle, when you are at your worst, when you might be at your farthest from your heavenly father, you're actually not far away that he loves you, that he's so moved by you that he sent his only son to die for you in the middle of it. Not when you're done, not when you clean it up. In the middle of it, he's saying, here I am. I want you. I want a relationship with you. That is so foreign to all of us. But it's true. When I was in high school, I became an EMT, and uh, not like on a whim, but like it was a. I had this opportunity. I thought I was going to be a police officer, and then I thought I was going to be a doctor, and I was wrong on both of those, obviously. And I took this EMT course, and one thing that they drilled in us over and over and over, like young EMTs, was like, you are not a doctor. Because the, the textbook was like humongous. I mean, it, you felt like a doctor after reading it. You're like, what else do they need to learn in med school? I mean, good grief, it's all right here. But they, they reiterated over and over, you're not a doctor. You are absolutely not a doctor. Don't think you're a doctor. Don't pretend to be a doctor. Do not act as if you are a doctor because you're not a doctor. I could give six medications as an EMT. You want to know two of them? Two of them are oxygen and glucose. That's called sugar. Okay, so you want to talk about like basic level life support. You get in a car accident, you break your arm, you get a bee sting, whatever. I roll up in an ambulance and my level of certification allows me to offer you oxygen and sugar. 
right? Does that help when your bones all sticking out? No, not a ton. We are not doctors. That's what they read it over and over and over. You are not a doctor, but they do teach us some things. One of them was called ABCs. That's airway, breathing, circulation. So if somebody is unconscious, you have to check those three. Is there anything in their airway? Are they breathing? And then do they have a circulation, right? Do they have a, a heartbeat? If they don't, what do we do? Come on, say it out like you mean it. CPR, right? Not that hard. So CPR is what they trained us to do, but they gave us one specific uh, encounter uh, that we had to learn in our EMT school, and it was water rescue. Now, water rescue is a little bit different than other rescues. Uh, so I want to role play this with me, okay? So I have a picture here. This is of Lake Michigan. This is in Chicago. This is where I'm originally from. So I want you to imagine that somebody falls into Lake Michigan, and you're on the shore. And it's freezing. It's freezing. Let's say they fall in and, you know, they hit their head. They're a little bit dazed. They, they get too far away from the pier to the point you, you can't reach them. You can't throw something at them. I mean, you could, but it's not going to help. You can't, you can't get them back. What do you do? For, for EMT school, they, they trained us of like, here, here are the things that you can do in water rescue. But this one's different because the water's cold. Your body does something really, really unique when your face in particular touches cold water. Um, we did this experiment. We took a big bowl, we filled it with ice water, we hooked somebody up to all the vitals in the classroom, and then what they did is they put their face in the water, and what happened to all the vitals is they start cutting in half. And it keeps happening over and over and over. What your body does when it touches that cold of a water is it kind of moves into this shock that it shuts down your extremities and pulls all of your blood to the middle to keep you warm and to keep you alive. That's what your body does. So you actually can't control it. It's a survival thing. So play this out. Somebody falls in. Now you know their body begins to shut down. Can you swim to shore? Can you tread water? Can... Yeah, it's really weird. I'm trying, but I can't. I can't move. My limbs are slowing down. It's starting to get numb and tingly, and I can't, I can't really move. Oh, can you save yourself? Like, come over here. Like, try to swim. It's not that hard. Just pick up your arm, whatever. Their whole body begins to shut down because it's trying to save itself. And if you're the person on the shore, you have one job, and it is to call a professional. It's to call someone who actually can save them. It's to call a rescuer. Because it, the farther and farther out, they get, I mean, it, it's like, you, if you jump in, you, you're, now we have two victims in the water. And if you, a third jumps in, now you have three. So if you can't save them, our job is to introduce them to a rescuer. It's to get somebody who, who is trained and who has the equipment to actually go in and save them and you realize how helpless we actually are. And then on top of that, you realize how helpless they actually are. And this is what's funny, too. You guys have seen the movies where somebody, like, passes out or is unconscious or saved from drowning or whatever. What's the first question they ask in the hospital? Where am I? What happened? It's like you're, you're so oblivious and so clueless to the desperate need that you have that you are totally at the mercy of somebody else to save you. You see the metaphor, right? You see where I'm going with this? Jesus is our rescuer. And I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know what you're going through, what you're struggling with, what you brought in today, what's hurting, what's weighing you down, what's sin, whatever. But, but I want you to think like, okay, am I the one that's drowning? 
Because there's a good chance that some of you in this room are drowning right now. You're treading water. You're starting to lose function. You're not sure what's happening. You're working way harder and getting way less results. And you just need to ask this question, like, am I, am I starting to drown right now? Is this starting to weigh me down? Is my body actually responding to something that I've been unaware of, but I'm, I'm starting to be limited? Maybe it's somebody around you. You know what we learned, too? I mean, about drownings. Most drownings occur among crowds. Not by yourself. Most drownings occur actually right in the midst of other people who just didn't notice. So I want you to think, the last two years, this week actually marks uh, two years since COVID was proclaimed as a, as a pandemic. So two years has gone by. As you look at your life, as you look at what's changed in your family, in your marriage, in your kids, at school, at work, in your neighborhood, relationships, friendships, is there anybody drowning in your life right now? Is there anybody gasping for air? Is there anybody whose life just seems to be falling apart, that they're just dying a slow death on the inside? Is there anybody that is spiritually drowning right now? Friend, neighbor, coworker, family member, spouse, child, can you see them? There is no better place that you could be than where you're at right now. As you walk in the door today, what I want you to know is this church is a church that loves people because of its love for the Lord. And so if you're hurting, if you're struggling, if you're broken, if your marriage is falling apart, if your kids are going through something that nobody else knows about, if you've received a diagnosis, if you feel far in your relationship with God, what I want you to know is you are surrounded by a church and by a group of people that has experienced the same thing, but has also met their rescuer, Amen. who has met their savior, who has the ability to jump into the water and grab you and save you and bring you back and bring you back to life. You want to know what's wild about drownings even? I'll, I'll say this. The person that holds the record for the longest time being dead with no heartbeat of their own, who survived and lived with no long-standing consequences, they were dead for six hours and 52 minutes. And they had an EMT or they had a medical professional, somebody that did CPR for six hours and 52 minutes. Why? Because it's not their job to declare somebody dead. Here's what I want to tell you is twofold. One, if that's you, you're never too far gone for God to bring you back. Amen. You're never too far gone for God to bring you back. That resurrection is his specialty. Jesus demonstrated it on the cross. But here's the other side. If you see somebody around you that's hurting or that's struggling or that's treading water, your job is to introduce them to the rescuer. And that's Jesus. Your job is to introduce them. And if it seems like, man, I've tried for months and I've seen nothing, that's okay. Six hours, 52 minutes. I've tried for years. I've gone after them for decades. You have no idea what they're doing. You have no idea how they treat me. You have no idea how resistant they are. Six hours, 52 minutes. And you keep going and you keep trying and you keep sharing because our job as the church is to introduce people to their rescuer. And it is not themselves, it's Jesus. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up here. I wanna read this last piece here. This is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. It says this, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you have not met your rescuer, don't miss another day. Brad is an incredible pastor here at New Life. Would love to meet you. He would love to meet you, spend time with you, introduce you to your rescuer. He's going to be around here somewhere. Come up, talk to the band afterwards. I'd be happy to introduce you afterwards. God died on the cross so that he might have a relationship with us. So that we wouldn't adhere to this model of I just need to be better and change my behavior. He died to free us from that so that we can actually come to him in our brokenness and in our pain, in our death, where we bring nothing to the table as helpless as we can be. That's what we bring. What we bring to the table is need. And he says, perfect, because what I bring to the table is a rescuer. He can change your life. He can change your family's life. He can change your neighborhood's life. He can change our country. He can change our world. He can change what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. He can change and resurrect anything. And the invitation to us as his church is to be a part of it. For six hours and 52 minutes. Let's pray together, can we? God, we come before you. We just thank you for what you're doing just in our midst right now, just here in this church. I thank you for the lives that you're changing the lives that you're calling to know you, to meet you, to go deeper in relationship with you. I pray for those that came in today struggling or hurting, who came in angry or ashamed. I, came, I pray for those who, who just come in hurting, God broken, wondering if there's anything for them from you, wondering if you even see them. God, we lift them up to you right now. I pray that you would minister to them in a way that only you can. I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would just minister, that you would speak to the heart, even by name right now, that they would hear you, that they would feel you, they'd feel your presence, they would feel the invitation from you to step into your presence, which makes dead things come back to life. God, I pray for a vision, for future, just for for what a life totally devoted to you could look like. I pray that you would minister to this community. I pray that you'd raise up this church to be ambassadors of you who proclaim the goodness of the kingdom of God, who talk about Jesus and what he's done and how he has rescued them from their lives. I pray that you change Waylon. I pray that you pray. I pray that you would just bless and change the surrounding communities here, God, that, that you would use this as a beacon of light and hope to reach people who have given up, who feel they're too far gone, who feel that nobody sees them even when they're drowning in crowds of people. I pray that you'd give them eyes to see right now, God eyes to see those who are hurting, eyes to see those who are broken, and I pray for hearts that could be open to you being their rescuer today. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty and precious and powerful and holy name. We pray in his name together, and all God's people said, amen.